Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode 70 of Yoga Land. 70. Episode 70. I wow. know, I know. And Jason and I are about to hit the road soon. Yeah. We are going to Maui next week for your retreat. Yep. I'm so excited about that. Me Sophie too. and I will be there. You're also going to Charleston this weekend. Yeah, tomorrow. And then London. to London. Yeah. This next four and a half week period is... Crunch time. Stiff. It's crunch time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm coming up with, I'll just let you know, I haven't told you this yet, that I'm going to come up with like a holiday series of podcasts that okay. you'll probably really need to listen to to kind of keep keep yourself grounded and yeah. down to earth okay. and not eating too much sugar and all those all right. fun things. All yeah. Right. Yeah. But today we're going to keep talking about the values that you have summarized in that blog post, the values that you most want to convey to your teachers. And the one we're going to talk about today is being an advocate for your students and not making broad prescriptive claims. Yes. So where do you want to start with that? Oh, man. <laughs> That's like when someone says, so what's yoga? Right. Well, let me ask you this then. So in terms of being an advocate for your student, what kinds of situations come up, do you think, for teachers that enable them or ask them to be advocates for their students? Well, let me not tie it to a previous conversation. Let's keep it contained here. When your students are coming to class, they're looking for something. They're looking for a number of things. They're looking to feel well in their body. They're looking to feel well in their mind. They're looking to feel connected, right? They're looking for all these things. And oftentimes, people are coming out of a set of needs, whether it's injury, whether it's an emotional scenario that they need support with, there's any number of situations where people have certain overt vulnerabilities that they're looking to manage. And it's very important to me as the yoga teacher that we understand this and we understand the influence of our words given the fact that people are also coming in a somewhat vulnerable state. And I think that it's really important as contemporary yoga teachers that we do everything that we can do to encourage our students to be well. I'll give you some examples of this, okay? okay? I have students with some regularity that come in with a physical injury that they have been managing for a long period of time, and it hasn't had much progress. And I will ask them, I think you need to see a physical therapist. Or, you know, I think you should see a PT and get checked out by an orthopedist, mm -hmm. okay? Like, I think it's time for you to move into that direction of specialty care. Mm -hmm. There may be situations, and this is more difficult to talk about because of stigma, but there may be situations where people need greater psycho-emotional mm -hmm. or basic psychological support than is appropriate to give in the setting of a yoga class three minutes before class. Mm -hmm. I truly believe that the yoga practice has always been an interventionist modality using the science of the day. It's always used the understanding and the tools of what people had in the day. I also think that to be the case with Ayurveda. I think it's the case with Chinese medicine. Like The reason that the techniques and the tools that were used is because those were the techniques and tools that were accessible at that phase. And not everyone is going to appreciate this as much as I did. But I remember 
a long time ago being on a panel. No, I wasn't actually on the panel. I was watching it. And Tim Miller was asked whether or not he did any of the Kriyas. And Tim said, well, you know, can you be a little bit more specific? And the person said, well, have you done, and I forget the name of the Kriya, but have you done any of the Kriyas where you inhale the moistened cloth? Uh-huh, right, where you and then put pull it through it, your nose. Where you pull it, yes, where yeah. you put it in the nose and then you pull it down through mm-hmm. through the mouth. Right. And Tim laughed. Which is something from, you'll see, if you study Ayurveda, you'll see this as an example of like a a hygiene, a cleansing. Yeah. Yeah. And Tim laughed and Tim was just like, God, no. And and the person was sort of taken aback and he said, look, Tim said, look, a lot of these Kriyas were developed because they didn't have pharmacies. And so a lot of these Kriyas were just leveraging the understanding that they had of the body at that time, leveraging the understanding of how disease worked at that time, and leveraging the tools that they had at their disposal at that time. Mm -hmm. And he said, now we're centuries later, and some of these tools and techniques still make sense. And other of these tools and technologies, I actually take care of by going to a pharmacy and getting a nose spray mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever. Right. Sure. And so what, what I'm trying to get at is, is not an us versus them situation. It's not a, oh, you should only do ancient things or no, you should only do modern things where I'm saying that we should be an advocate for our students. Well, being is, I believe that we should embrace anything and everything that helps us and our students be well. And, In some situations, this is going to require us to be supportive of people seeking specialty care. Yeah. So there's a little subtext here that I'll just bring to the surface, which is that I think one of the things that probably happens is many of us come to yoga, like you said, looking for answers, looking for healing, looking for solutions, and we get a lot of them in the yoga room. Yes. And we get a lot of care that perhaps we have not received yet in Western medicine. And empowerment, right? self-empowerment, Yeah, which self-empowerment is and a lot of like attention and care that unfortunately, you know, I will say as much as I am an advocate for Western medicine, I think there is an aspect of, you know, teaching doctors to be healers that's kind of missing. And Paul Kalanithi talks about this in his book, When Breath Becomes Air, which is just a wonderful book that he really didn't understand the importance of truly caring for his patients until he became a patient. Right. Right. So with this propensity for us to be in the yoga room and to feel so excited that we're finding solutions and to feel, you know, happy that we can kind of like put the, perhaps the Western solutions aside, maybe people are more likely to overlook when they have a problem that needs an intervention. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that we get very black and white. Mm. You know, I think that we've had a lot of frustration with illness and difficulty and Western medicine. And and oftentimes we've had a lot of breakthroughs and a lot of success with other modalities. And that's really great and that's very valuable. But I don't think as yoga teachers, we should talk in an offhand or dismissive way about anything that helps anyone. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, I'm going to, I'll bring up a yoga example. I'm going to bring up Bikram yoga. Okay. Which is 
If Bikram yoga works well for your body, of course I would advocate that you do Bikram yoga. If Ashtanga yoga works well for your body, of course I would advocate that you do Ashtanga yoga. If Iyengar yoga works well for your body, of course I would advocate for you to work with that, right? And so that's sort of the point is, I spoke a while ago about having point of view without diminishing other points of view. Mm -hmm. I know my reservations about particular styles of yoga, but I can't impose that reservation on you if that style of yoga is working well for your body. Mm -hmm. So if a student tells me that they, oh, you know, I, I love to spin, or I, you know, I love this this technical yoga class of yours, but I, I also really love Bikram. Or I love to go to the gym and go, do cardio. It's funny. It's like sometimes people will make those admissions as if there's a problem there. Mm-hmm. You know, as if that's the little, you know, our little secret. our little our little secret, <laughs> like our little guilty pleasure. Like, but any form of being well should be supported. It should be embraced. It shouldn't be a little secret, mm-hmm. right? Especially in this contemporary era, era where we have so much access to so much help and support. Mm-hmm. The ways that I hear it come about, I think for a lot of yoga teachers and for me at some sometimes is the sort of subtle dismissiveness of things that don't fit in your current worldview, right? And to me, those are the things that we have to stay away from. You know, th- like random little phrases like skills, not pills. Like, oh like things like this that, that is, is actually, my, that's actually really boil. damaging. That makes right? my blood boil. It may, right? It's like, no, it's not one or the other. It's actually not one or the other. Like, like all of the actual studies show that both are helpful yeah. situationally. And it depends. Right. And guess what yoga teachers are not qualified to do, which is to actually make an accurate diagnosis, especially in a group setting without that training. Right. And a, it, and a, and a mental health diagnosis. You we're not, right. We're not qualified to make a mental health diagnosis. Yeah. And so we shouldn't put ourselves in a position of castigating, even in the subtle, sort of subtle backhanded way, decisions that we aren't actually qualified to talk about. Yeah. You know? And is it okay for me to have a personal opinion? Sure. Sure. I have a personal opinion about everything. (laughs) Okay. But is it appropriate for me to out of context, or not even out of context, in a totally inappropriate context, impose my personal belief system in the wrong context in an offhand way to a group of students that trust me? Mm-hmm. And the answer is no. My, there are situations where my personal belief system needs to be checked at the door of my professional methodology. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yoga teachers have a lot of influence. True. They have it's a so lot true. of influence. So true. A lot of influence, right? And so it's it's actually important that we don't intentionally or unintentionally make these little slights mm-hmm. because they're malinformed mm-hmm. and they're at best ignorant. Mm-hmm. They're at worst malicious. Mm-hmm. I just don't want any of my students or any of the teachers teaching their students to set up a situation where the student is made to feel guilty. Yeah. 
that they're taking advantage of a resource to be well. Mm-hmm. And often when that happens, it's coming out of it's coming out of the teacher's insecurity. It's coming out of the teacher's momentary lapse of boundaries. And and a teacher's very specific point of view coming from their internal brain, nervous system, genetic history, personal history. You know, it's like, yeah, I agree. I mean, the skills not pills thing is honestly it makes That's a deal breaker. my blood boil. Yeah. And it, it was said to me, actually, when I was researching the feature that I did for Yoga Journal years ago, when I wrote about my personal experience with depression and how I did choose to go on antidepressants and how I truly believe that they saved my life at that time. And I called someone, I don't even remember who he was. I, uh, sincerely, I don't remember who he was. He was a yoga teacher who led a group for people to to kind of overcome depression. And he said, skills, not pills. And I was like, yeah, um, but sometimes people might need the pills. And he's like, well, and I said, and that doesn't mean that you're unskillful. And we just ended the conversation agreeing to disagree. And then I called Mark Epstein, who is a well-known Buddhist scholar and teacher and, and a psychotherapist. And he had a completely different, very compassionate thing to say, which I will hold with me forever, which was like, the Buddha would have believed that whatever alleviated suffering at that time was would be useful to the right. person, right? That, this is not a exactly. self-torture practice. No. This is not about being, you know, overcoming every single thing and being some perfectly pieced together superhuman doesn't have to happen and it's not going to happen and we guilt our students yeah we guilt our students and we sort of we guilt our students like just because they come to yoga millions of years of their dna and genetic evolution should somehow be totally reined in by the fact that you can do ujjayi breath and downward facing dog yeah this is not being brought to you by big pharma right <laughs> 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 We'll have a commercial at the end. Yeah. If we did, if this was being brought to you by Big Pharma, we would not be recording in my daughter's oh my God, room no. with the princess castles. and the, Okay. Sort of continuing to be to this point, it's like, it's not one or the other. It's not as simple as this is how I want my solution to be. So this is the solution that is going to work for me. I think one of the things that comes up or, or for me, one of the the big realizations that I had early on in the yoga practice was, oh, I can't just treat the symptoms. I have to understand the complexity and the underlying disease or the underlying imbalance or the underlying disorder, right? So I thought for a long time when I had this realization of, oh, it's not just symptoms. I have to treat the underlying complex situation. I thought then for a while, okay, well, let's just treat the complex situation. And then I had a secondary realization years later, which is, well, actually you have to be able to treat the symptoms to be able to treat the underlying imbalance, mm-hmm. right? And this is this is where I think so many people don't understand the situation or they get into this black white. And again, a point of us versus them, mm. yoga versus not yoga. Well, and it's yogi also like versus not yogi. being extre- on the either ends of the spectrum as, as opposed thinking. to, we were talking about this yesterday, as opposed to the middle path. Yeah. 
you know, like, can you look at yourself? I mean, this is something that's really interesting to me lately because we see it in our daughter, right? Like she vacillates between like extreme activity and extreme collapse. Right. I think this, this going to extremes is just somehow wired, (laughs) wired into us. And yoga teaches us and meditation and Buddhism teach us to recognize those things and then to draw into the middle path and figure out. And that's what's truly integrative, right? That's, that's exactly so it's like, right. you know, it's not that I, I went on antidepressants and I never tried to mine my issues and I never tried to, to deal with my brain. No, I still they do gave, these practices. They, they actually gave you the space right. to develop the skills. Right, right. That, that to me is the biggest issue. It's like that when we produce guilt around a situation because we become black and white ideologues, then we're actually missing out on the complexity and we're missing out on options to solve the problem. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And in that to me is as a yoga teacher, I can only stand behind this process of saying, look, what does it take to be well? What does it take to alleviate suffering? And that might mean that someone needs greater specialization for a period of time, maybe forever, Mm -hmm. but for a period of time. And so this comes up in two situations. One, which is there are situations where I may make the recommendation that someone goes to a different class, that someone goes to a different style of class, that someone seeks professional specialization that is outside of the scope of yoga. That and that doesn't mean that they're being kicked out of yoga. That means that they need additional support, right? When you're talking about this example, like are you saying that you I would send them to a different yoga class or a different type like I'm not exactly clear. So someone might come to me, it's like this simple, because we've been talking about mental stuff, but like to make okay. it really simple. Yeah. Someone comes to me with comes to my vinyasa class. And they come to me and they are talking about, they are dealing with acute sacroiliac discomfort. Okay. That vinyasa class is going to be terrible for them. It's the, My class with their current situation is going to increase their suffering, not decrease it. I can't say to myself, oh, well, you know, my class is really the best class and I don't want to lose this student and I don't want to sort of lose this revenue. So... Okay, well, we'll just modify the whole time, mm-hmm. right? I have to be able to say, you know what? All of the transitions that we make are going to be agitating. All of the front bends and the twists we're going to do are going to be agitating. And you might over the course of this class start to feel a little bit better, but after this class, you're going to feel worse than you did before you came. Mm-hmm. So while you are dealing with this situation, I think you would be much better in a different yoga class right now. I think that you would be better in a class that doesn't do nearly as many salutations, nearly as many transitions. Here, let's look at this restorative class. Let's look at this level one Hatha class. Let's look at this Iyengar class. Let's look at this situation that doesn't include all of the transitions, right? It might be the same thing for, you know, a shoulder injury. I might say, look, for a little period of time, I actually think you would be better doing Pilates and physical therapy. Mm-hmm. And then come back, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm not saying there's in a place for modification, obviously, but there are situations that are acute enough that I have to step back and say, I honestly don't think modifications is the right deal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think a different 
style or a different type of embodiment for a period of time is going to be what works. Mm -hmm. And I know that to be the case from my own process, from my own process, from my own practice. I've gone through several injuries over the years where I can't flow, right? Yep. Everything everybody has from time to time. But we often don't know how to deal with that. Yeah, it's really hard. And so as a teacher, we have to know how to deal with that, right? As a teacher, we need to learn how to, yes, help people modify when we think that modification is enough. But there's a there's going to be a point at which when if all of your doing is modifying, if you can't do any transitions or put weight on your shoulder joint, then guess what? If you can't put weight on your shoulder joint, go to a Bikram class. Do I want to go to Bikram? Do I personally like Bikram yoga? No. But would it be a reasonable solution for some people? Yeah. So I have to advocate for that. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm saying is like, not only allow for it, but actually advocate for it. Mm, okay. Actually advocate. Say, you know what? I think you would be best off if you do some functional training. Mm-hmm. Oh, you, your glutes aren't firing. Oh, you, oh, your glutes aren't firing. You've had a hamstring injury, a hamstring attachment injury for 18 months. Mm-hmm. I know those go on forever. Okay. <laughs> so guess what? Coming to my flow class and bending and your knees, oh. you've been trying that for 18 months. Yeah. And bending your knees, everyone out there, it's an aside, but bending your knees and hamstring attachment injuries makes the hamstring attachment injury worse, mm. not better. Night, right? That's another thing about making prescriptive claims, mm-hmm. right? Is that the truth is that the majority of yoga teachers, including myself, who knows bodies pretty well. The majority of yoga teachers, including myself, don't have enough information at their disposal to make claims about what is going to fix your problem. Hmm. And I hear it all the time, like the amount of people that have come to me with this just one situation, hamstring attachment injuries, and said, oh, I was told to bend my knees. And I say, how is that working for you? Well, it's still here. It's not getting any better, right? Because bending your knees will make it worse Mm -hmm. because it anteriorly tilts the pelvis more Mm -hmm. because it pulls at the sacral tuberous ligament more, Mm -hmm. right? But again, we don't often know that we don't know that. Mm -hmm. And so we have to understand that the complexity of injuries, illness is, in my opinion, not to be casually dealt with in a 90-minute public class full of 30 people. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, even doctors, doctors that I know that are yoga teachers don't doctor in a public class. Mm-hmm. They don't doctor in a public class. Mm-hmm. They don't make claims because they don't have time for a diagnosis. Right. If you're not qualified for a diagnosis, if you don't have tools at your disposal for diagnosis, if you don't know how to read MRIs, if you don't know how to go through that process, then saying do this and it will feel better is not only often inaccurate, but I think that it is unethical. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And that's a bitter pill to swallow because we want to be helpful. Sure. But sometimes, sometimes saying this is going to fix that is being the opposite of helpful. Yeah.
So let me ask you this. So yeah. because I think you touched on a really important point. <laughs> We're bumping into like every piece of furniture in the room okay. today. So we're going to get a better, better setup. So let me ask you this. How can a teacher internally cope with the disappointment in yeah. not being able to have an answer, A, and also a student who really can't quite accept your recommendation? Yeah. Well, I think it's out of your hands. If a student can't accept my recommendation, that's that's not for me to control. Mm-hmm. I can't even control the decisions our five-year-old makes. <laughs> So, right. So I can't, with another adult, I can't impose my belief system and I wouldn't want to impose my belief system. That's why, again, I use the the phrase pretty specifically advocate, right? All I can do is advocate for a position that I think gives you the greatest amount of options. Mm -hmm. That that's what I want. Mm -hmm. I want you to have more options to be well, not fewer options to be well. Mm -hmm. And I believe that that comes with education. Mm-hmm. I believe that the greater the understanding and the greater the education, the more the options you have, not the fewer options you have. But again, that's a specific belief system that not everyone's going to participate in. Mm-hmm. So if a student doesn't accept my recommendations or follow them, that's totally fine. I've played my role. Mm-hmm. I've done my job. I have done the professionally appropriate thing to do. Mm-hmm. Now, how do we deal with not having all the answers or not having the Yeah, the answer. disappointment that comes from not being able to help someone the way you want to help them. This is, man, this is getting heavy all of a sudden. Because I'm going <laughs> to say, it. get over the healer trip. Hmm. Get over the healer trip. You're not fixing someone. You're teaching them yoga. Yoga is the healing mechanism. You are not the healing mechanism. I have never healed anything in anyone. I have facilitated a process that that process has generated a lot of healing for sure. Mm -hmm. And so I've been integral to the process of healing, but I am not the healer. I am not the mechanism. Same thing with my teachers. I'd say the same thing. My teachers have been instrumental to various healing processes, but they've not healed me. Mm -hmm. They have facilitated the process and it's the process of doing the practice that is the is the mechanism of transformation. Yeah, that's right? the catalyst. And so what we have to remember is two things. One, it's the yoga that is the healing process. And it may or may not be sufficient mm-hmm. d- depending on the situation. Mm-hmm. The second thing to remember, which is it's not your job as the teacher. Your, your job as the teacher is to teach yoga. It's not to fix somebody. Mm-hmm. And you can't put that on yourself. You can't put that on yourself. Even if that's what you wanted to do, like if you wanted to be a therapist or if you wanted to be part of the healing arts. I mean, I think even if you were part of the healing arts, you need to understand that. It's it's still about using the tools at your disposal. Yeah. Yeah. It's the engagement with the protocol. Mm -hmm. It's not the person facilitating the engagement. I don't want to go too far down this road. Maybe we already have. Yeah. But- what I want to communicate at this phase is that you have to trust yoga. Mm-hmm. Like as the teacher, you have to trust that yoga is a incredibly potent force and no one really gets everything sorted out in two minutes before class, three minutes after class or whatever it is. This is a, this is a very long process. I'm going to just sort of like 
get a little more granular with what you're saying. Okay. Which is, I, I slightly disagree with you, and, and I because I do think that yoga teachers bring a certain energy to the teaching, and that. So I'm just going to give you an example from my own life. I've been to a lot of acupuncturists. After I was sure. diagnosed with cancer, I found an acupuncturist who had had cancer before, and something about working with him, he was the best acupuncturist for me I had ever had. And he facilitated a lot of great changes in my body. And, you know, when I had to say goodbye to him because he moved, I told him, I said, I I just feel like I literally feel like working with you is magical. And he was like, well, you know, that's really nice. I think it has to do with our energy together. chemistry. Sure. (laughs) Well, okay. Sorry. No, I don't mean it. No, no, I know. I thought you were making a joke. Yeah. So it had to do with our therapeutic relationship together. So I do think that teachers, the yoga teachers have the ability to have a healing sort of relationship with a student or students. But I think that what you're saying is at a certain point, you have to let go of the ego attachment of that. Like if, if you feel disappointed that that therapeutic relationship can only go so far and that person needs other help, if your ego feels disappointed in that, you kind of have to push the ego aside. Yeah. And I guess the tr- I guess so what I should reveal too, or just clarify is I'm thinking about all of this in the context of a group class. Mm-hmm. And you didn't receive acupuncture in a group for setting. 60 minutes no. <laughs> with 30 other people. Yeah. Okay. That wouldn't be appropriate because he can't diagnose. He can't, he can't take your pulse. He can't look at the tongue. He can't look into your eyes. He can't get the individual one-on-one feedback. The situation in which us yoga teachers tend to make these broad prescriptive claims uh-huh. is either sort of in the flow, like in the moment, or when someone comes up before class or after class when we just have a second and says, my hamstring hurts, what so should I do? So is it appropriate to say to that person... I can help you if we schedule some time, if you want to schedule a private. Or, or do you feel like that the person's I, just going to think of that as like a sales? No, topic? I think that if you actually have the skill set, then a private is a really good thing. The other thing I think, and it might be as simple as this, Andrea, it might be as simple as saying, okay, your hamstring's been hurting for a long time. What have you been trying oh, I've been keeping my knees straight the whole time and stretching really hard. Okay, well, let's try something else. I'm not sure that this is going to solve the problem. But let's see how it feels in the specific poses to do these poses a different way. Not, this will fix that. Mm -hmm. So what I think, and again, and I don't think this is just semantics, right? I want to give another example, right? Lower back hurts, sacroiliac joint hurts every time we twist, okay? If I say, if you come up to me and say, oh man, I've been having a lot of sacroiliac pain. I say, okay, when when's that happening? It's happening mainly in my twists. I should not then say, okay, well, you need to do X, Y, and Z, and then that's going to make the sacroiliac region feel better. What I need to say is I need to default to the pose and I need to say, okay, well, this is what's bothering it, right? You said it's hurting more when you twist. So let's take a moment and let's see how you usually twist. 
do you usually allow the pelvis to rotate or do you keep the pelvis fixed? Oh, you keep the pelvis fixed. Okay. So let's see this. For this class today and for next class, next several classes, let's try this differently. Let's have you rotate the pelvis a little bit in the direction the spine is rotating every time you twist. And let's see if that feels better. And if it does, then we know that this is going to be helpful. And to me, that's it's it, this is still teaching the yoga. It's presenting modifications. It's presenting a different approach. But it's not making an early on claim, oh, do it this way and it'll fix that. Because the truth is we don't know. Mm-hmm. So as the teacher, we need to we need to sort of say, all right, let's explore that. Like, are you willing to explore that? And guess what? And I joke with people all the time. I this is this is what I say. Okay, I say, look, I'm going to give you a money back guarantee. The new technique I give you is going to make you feel better, or it's going to make you feel worse, or it's going to make you feel the exact same. Like the reality <laughs> is, I don't know. Right. I don't know. We don't know. Mm-hmm. We don't know, and it's so individual. So that's where we have to step back from just saying, oh, your back hurts, bend your knees. That's fine. That's sort of Mm fine-ish. But the point that I'm trying to make, which is a difficult point to make because it's subtle here, Mm -hmm. which is instead of saying this fixes that, we have to say, let's see what you're doing. Let's approach this differently. Let's see if it makes it feel better, if it makes it feel worse, or it keeps it the same. And then here's the deal, which is if we find a different way of working that works better and fixes the situation, we're good. If we exhaust all sorts of different options and it's still not working, then what do we have to advocate for? Dude, I don't know. Maybe you should see a see a manual therapist. Maybe you should see a physical therapist. Maybe you should see a chiropractor. Is this affecting the quality? This is another question I ask people all the time. Is this affecting the quality of your yoga or is it affecting the quality of your life? Is this injury or this feeling or this discomfort, is this waking you up? Yeah, that's what they ask is you in PT. <laughs> exactly. Like feeling you, it at night? Are you feeling it in your sleep? Exactly. Are you is feeling, it affecting yeah. the quality of your life or is it just every time you try to press in a handstand, your wrist hurts? If that's the case, you don't have a wrist problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You don't have a wrist injury. Mm-hmm. It's a situational stress, mm-hmm. right? So, so that's where I'm trying to say, like, let's not make it quick. Let's not try and solve something real quick. Let's not be flippant. These are people's bodies. Let's do our best to stay open-ended and to engage with the process where where we don't actually know what is going to help. We might have ideas, but we engage with an actual trial and error process, acknowledging that we don't have the answers up front. And then if through that process we help fix the issue, we're good. Then then we're good. Mm -hmm. We're done. And if we don't, then I think at that point, that's where we become the advocate and say, you know what? I've done my best. Like I've taught you the extent of my knowledge. So if this is a quality of life thing, I got a couple good PTs. That's where I would start. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, not to freak you out, not to scare you, but we've come to the extent of my knowledge. Mm -hmm. And here you go. Okay. Last quick question. Yeah. Have you had students where you have recommended that they see um, a counselor? No, I mean for mental health. Has that come up? What I do in my trainings 
it, uh, no, the answer is yes and no. I have never specifically told an individual, hey, so-and-so, I think it would be good for you to seek counseling mm -hmm. or to say, seek therapy. There are many situations where people have come up to me and said, you know, I'm, I'm dealing with this and it's been really difficult and I'm really struggling in yoga and I've been thinking about seeing a therapist. What do you think? And, and at that situation, I'll say, sounds like you think it would be a good idea. Like, why not? Mm -hmm. Why not try mm -hmm. that? Mm -hmm. So I am highly supportive of people engaging in whatever may help. Mm -hmm. I don't initiate that conversation very often. The only other thing is in my trainings, I am very transparent about what has helped me psychologically and emotionally over the years. And it isn't just lengthening my exhalation in downward facing dog. <laughs> <laughs> right? So I give myself an as an example of someone that believes in integrated approach to medicine, which is not to say, hey, this has worked for me, you do it. Sure. But I, but I want to use my mantle to say, I am an example of someone who embraces many different forms of being well because I need many different forms of being well. Right. You know, so I use that regularly. And I think that it's genuinely very important. Great. Yep. Yeah. Super helpful conversation nice for a lot and light. of people. Glad I'm we sure. kept it light today. <laughs> Thanks, Jason. You're welcome. Thanks so much for listening. A few weeks back, I added some links in our newsletter to ways that you can donate to causes helping people in Texas and in Florida. We have obviously had more disasters since then. If you would like to help the people out of Puerto Rico, you can go to oneamericaappeal.org and donate there. They are assisting for all of the different disasters. You can select specifically for Puerto Rico as right now they seem to be the area that's getting the least amount of federal aid as of the recording of this podcast. That might change, obviously. So if you give up a cup of coffee each day, a kombucha that you buy for a week, you could donate $25, $28, If we all did that, it would make a huge difference. Thanks so much. And until next week, enjoy your practice. Mm -hmm.